Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Hey, welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. As the voiceover you just heard said, my name is David Klempt. I'm your host. Hope you're well. Hope you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing. We have a return guest today. He's an awesome guest. We have David Vitali from Starward Whiskey, crafted in Australia. And there's some huge news. So first of all, how's it going, David? Really well. Thanks, David. It's um, It's been, I've just spent the last two months back in Australia. So um, it was great to get back home um, after over 800 days of being um, locked out of the country. Um, I think a lot of people were kind of glad to not have me around for 800 days, but <laughs> it was good. It was really good to get back home and, and um, spend some time with family, obviously, but also spend some time at the distillery. Was it pretty surreal when you actually touched Australian soil after that many days? It really was like it was just even little things like the sky seems really big, you know, in in Australia Um, and just familiar sounds that, you know, we don't get the benefit of here, like a magpie, which has a really interesting sort of like call to it um, as a bird. And yeah, just just coffee, every self-respecting Melbourneian and and to a greater extent Australian will say it's like, you know, we're pretty snobby about our coffee. And so it was good to get some local brew running through the veins. Was there a, a certain meal or food that you just had to have after after being gone so long? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, uh, it was just good catching up with family. And so just having a great family dinner with um, my brother and mom and cousins and nieces, and it was great, you know, and, and um, it wasn't by design, but I was able to spend um, Easter there as well, which was fantastic. Very nice. So I'm very happy for you that you actually got to go home after almost three years. I mean, <laughs> it's getting there. Yeah. Um, but the reason you're here, and this is fantastic, is Starward was represented very well at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. And you took home 15 gold medals, 12 of which were double gold. So I just yeah. have to ask what your reaction is when you saw that final count. I thought there was a mistake. You know, I, I genuinely thought that something had gone wrong in terms of like the tallying or something like that, because to, to, you know, I mean, 12 gold medals, actually, you know what, that's plausible, right? But for them to be double gold is like outstanding and, and such a, such a huge honor to be honest, to kind of be regarded in that, in that light. And for the listeners who aren't aware at this competition, a double gold means that, Every judge on the panel who was judging Starward each gave a single gold. So it was unanimous. This is a gold medal winner, and that gives you a double gold. What does it mean to the Starward team that the judges reviewed Starward and said, yes, this is one that we all love? I think all of us were really, you know, we take a great sense of pride in the work that we do. You know, no one, no, I don't know any distiller that sort of, wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to make a whiskey that's of not great quality, right? So, you know, everybody strives to kind of create something that's quite distinctive and flavorful and hits the mark. And that mark might be 
a $20 whiskey. It could be a $50 whiskey or a $100 whiskey. But, you know, um, and, and regardless of scale, most people I know, I don't think I've heard one person not care about the way they make their products. So to kind of then achieve this sort of recognition is is obviously a great sense of validation that like we're on the right track and that people are people are sort of feeling that what we're doing is distinctive and remarkable and and deserves recognition and you know that's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing particularly for the team and and I should point out David that the 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 whiskey that we're drinking now is actually from Port, our, our upgraded distillery. So we did a huge production upgrade in 2016. And, you know, as, as you know, in Melbourne, our whiskey kind of ages a lot faster than it does in pretty much the rest of the world. We've got the outback to our north and like the Antarctica to our south. And depending on which way the wind's blowing, it can kind of either be, you know, 105 or, you know, 65 or within 20 minutes. So, you know, that aging environment means that all of the whiskey that we're sort of serving customers today has come from the Port Melbourne distillery. And the exciting thing I think for the, for the production team particularly is they've got oodles of this stuff. There's, there's, you know, like we've got plenty more of it to come. And from their perspective, the the best of it is yet to come. So like to kind of get to this level with um, a huge production upgrade and, and anybody that knows anything about manufacturing understands that as you start to scale up, you can go through that sort of scale hell, you know, um, and, you know, we ironed out a lot of kinks um, in that early phase. And I guess we're seeing, you know, for them internally, we're seeing the rewards of that now in that that hard work that we put into making sure that as we scaled, all of the things that we loved about Starwood remain to be true in the, in the liquid, this is a great sense of validation of that too. Because I think a lot of people can often feel like, oh, you know, everything being handcrafted indicates that there's a sense of quality and integrity to it, that as things start to scale, that gets lost. And I guess to me, this is a great sort of sense of proof that that's not necessarily the case objectively. There's always a lovely romance and I feel it. You know, there's fingerprints all over every single wall of that distillery of mine, you know, and as we start to scale up, there's less of those fingerprints on the walls, right? But it doesn't mean that the integrity and the quality and the attention to detail and care that those team members have is any less, um, in fact, I'd argue it's greater than mine, you know, like they care so much about what they're doing in a way that given that, you know, I was chief bottle rinser, distiller, marketer, salesperson, copywriter, you know, when you start up, it's just impossible to provide that much attention to the singular thing that that, that um, we do when we're making whiskey. Well, to have, to your point, to have 15 expressions go to a competition and come back with that many awards also means your quality, it's proving the consistency because yeah. your single facility and your team is producing on that level even as you scale up. So that's incredibly impressive. And then you brought the word validation. And my first conversation with you, I didn't get the feeling that you were overly seeking validation. It seemed more like you were focusing on visibility for the brand and the team and succeeding in capturing more markets. But is this a, is this a, a sense of validation personally? Yeah, I, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It kind of follows on from what I was saying before. Like no distiller I know wakes up in the morning to win awards, right? That's not why you make whiskey. 
but bloody hell, it feels good, you know, and I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't a sense of like, yeah, absolutely, we're doing some great things. And the interesting thing, you know, to the layperson looking at a whiskey shelf and particularly the shelf that we're in, which is typically whiskeys from other different whiskeys, you know, whiskey from other places that like, you know, the price range, I mean, twofold sits at a 30 30 to $35 price point. And, but in the same shelf, you can have a $150 price point whiskey. And so if you take awards away and you don't know much about this product, you can infer, a lot of people do, that like, well, the $150 whiskey must be better, right? It's just more expensive. Well, the reality is it's just probably more scarce, right? If, uh, if a tropical cyclone hits tropical North Queensland where bananas are growing, the price of bananas go up because there's less bananas around, right? And so it's the same with whiskey. And so I think awards can kind of play that role in creating scarcity because people sort of see visibility. But for me, the, the validation is actually for the consumer to say, actually, this $30 whiskey comes from a distillery. I'm going to say it about 10 times in the interview, by the way. comes from the distillery that, you know, won 15 gold medals, 12 of which are double gold. So you can trust this product to deliver from a flavor and, you know, not even talk about quality, but from a flavor perspective and distinctiveness as much as you can any other whiskey on this shelf, right? And I think that that's where these awards help. It's for the consumer to understand that actually the, the whiskey is well-crafted, it's distinctive and has been recognized independently as something that, you know, delivers on its promise. Without saying this in like a boastful way, do you think that these awards, though, are going to further put Australian whiskeys on the map like throughout North America and, and other regions that maybe, I mean, Americans focus on bourbon and they focus on rye. We, we do like scotch and Irish whiskey, but do you think this will help more visibility for Australia in, in general? No doubt. I hope they do. And look, you know, if we look at Japanese whiskey and the and the awards that sort of led to that sort of um, run on 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 whiskey, that was pretty much the catalyst, right? It was again, no one was necessarily seeking out Japanese whiskey, and certainly, you know, if you talk to some of the um, suppliers in in the United States, you know, they've been here for the better part of eighteen to twenty years, right? No one knows that, but they were slogging it out, but no one was interested and then all of a sudden they you know like it, the momentum built and so this is definitely hopefully a catalyst for that you know that the people start to kind of go well actually japanese whiskey won all these great awards and you know that was great um we see whiskies from taiwan and you know um rye whiskies from scotland and you know <clears throat> scandinavian countries um making great rye and single malts why not australia and look at this they're great value for money. They're, they're well regarded from a judging perspective and also um, really different. You know, that, that aging in wine barrels, I have to think, was a big part of the reason why they were so well regarded was because, you know, if you're a judging panellist, I imagine that you're looking at a wall of very much, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, and I'm, this is not being disparaging, but there's a lot of beige, right? You know, if you think of those beige labels, right, there's a lot of beige on the shelf. <laughs> And then something like this comes along and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And, and so, so to me, it's not surprising. And often what we find, this is kind of what's happened in the past, is David will either 
do really well in award ceremonies and in award in, in war, award panelists, or not even rate. And the reason for that is because everyone's expecting beige, and then when it's not beige, it's like okay, this is off territory, you know. Versus, you know, in this instance, I think there was like a, a recognition that actually this is, you know, extremely well crafted and very distinctive. So our listeners mostly consist of the U.S. and Canada, but we do have. Australia and other countries in our in our uh, metrics, but I was going to focus on the eight expressions that Americans can oh. easily get right now, or at least that are coming. Yeah. Um, and last conversation, we talked about twofold, and we talked about Nova and the ginger beer cask, which we can talk about that again if you want, because that's just amazing to me. But from the core range. Nova and Fortis that won double golds. Project yeah. range, it's Octave, Unexpeded, and the Ginger Beer cast number six that won double. And from the single barrel range, barrels 684, 3278, and 4539 also won double gold medals. And then Twofold and Dolce, which are part of the core range, also won singles. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of, we can go quickly, but I was just wondering what the listeners can expect when they encounter Fortis, Octave, Unexpeded, and Dolce. If we start with Fortis, it's a 100-proof version of Nova. It's probably the best way to describe it. Um, it's my kind of tip of the hat to, you know, bottled-in-bond American rise, and, and particularly rice because I'm a huge fan of them, but also bourbons as well. And... Yeah, so what we've done in that instance, because it is a, that tip of the hat, is exclusively used American oak red wine barrels as opposed to with Nova, we're sourcing whiskey from both those French oak red wine barrels as well as the American oak red wine barrels. So if we kind of go back a, a few steps, Starwood's kind of known for aging whiskey in wine barrels, most of them big Aussie reds, Cabernet Shiraz, some Pinot in there as well, and... We've got some coming out actually quite shortly that are going to be um, Grenache, Grenache, Shiraz and Morderdra single barrels, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. So the wonderful thing is that, the, it, you know, we've got a huge amount of complexion in the in the bond store in wood policy in a way that I think complexion and complexity at a rickhouse at a bourbon distillery comes from which level the, of the rickhouse it comes from or, or, you know, how far in it is. So but the barrels are the same and you know for the most part the the mash bill that they use to kind of age the whiskey to make the spirit is the same so we've kind of gone the other way and said well look our spirit will always be pretty consistent very very consistent but actually the diversity comes from sourcing these amazing red wine barrels from different regions and so nova is the sum of the parts whiskey it's both american oak and french oak it's wet filled barrels. So that's wine out and whiskey in within a couple of days, full aging. We also have some shaved toasted rechard barrels, which is kind of the traditional sort of approach to reconditioning on fortified wine barrels for use at Scotch whiskey distilleries. And then we have the Grenache Shiraz Morverde. We've got different sizes, hogsheads, barriques. We've also got different vintage, number of vintages at wineries. So if you've used a, a, a wine barrel at a winery for one vintage and then sold it to Starwood, the barrel is going to be far more generous in terms of that extractive wood component than if it had been at the distillery, at the winery for five vintages. 
And so if you do the kind of family tree of different types of barrels, David, we could go around and do a single barrel every week and still not come back to the same type of barrel, such wow. as the diversity, right? So it's pretty exciting. And so, but what it does mean is that with Fortis, for example, we can say, you know what, let's just, let's, if it's going to be a tip of the hat, the 100 proof bottled in bond whiskey, let's make it all American oak. That's Fortis with Octaves, still red wines. This is just about to be launched, which is pretty exciting. But basically it is all red wines, Shiraz, in 100 litre barrels from one winery who fill the wine from one paddock. So you cannot get more uber provenential than this. So it's effectively a single estate vintage whiskey from the Yolumba winery, right? So we're working with one winemaker from one paddock with one vintage of wine. So it's pretty exciting. This is a really sentimentally you know, sentimental favourite of mine because we started ageing whiskey and wine barrels with this particular winery in this style of barrels. And because they're smaller, the surface area to volume ratio is higher. And so you get way more, you know, it's, it's just extremely generous and luscious and, you know, expressive of like the Starwood House style in uh, one release. So that's coming out very, very shortly. And it's going to be a lot of people that, you know, it's a very small, more, small allocation to the United States, but, you know, it's a double gold medal winning whiskey and on allocation available in the United States. And I'm pretty excited by it, to be honest. That's quite a designation as well, being a single estate and single. You can't, uh, I mean, you that's... can't get more singles, <laughs> right? Single malt, single estate, you know, single vintage. It's crazy. And then what is X-Speeded? I'm hoping, I hope I'm saying the, the correct way. I assume it's speeded, but I'm just making sure I didn't. Yeah. It's a, okay. So one of the things about Starwood is that, you know, the ethos behind the brand and, and where I wanted to start from a whiskey perspective was I didn't grow up drinking whiskey. You know, I come from an Italian background. Wine was the big thing. Whiskey was basically what my parents gave our accountant for Christmas every year. That was basically it. So when I started, I always wanted to make an approachable, accessible whiskey for people that don't know they like whiskey yet, right? Because always, you know, a lot of people think I don't like whiskey; it's too smoky, right? Or there's a little bit of PTSD from a you know 16th birthday party you went to, and you know, yeah, didn't well, right? <laughs> so, so a lot of people are just like, I don't like whiskey, and so all of our whiskeys have always been designed with accessibility and approachability in mind, not just in terms of flavor, but also pocket as well price point and so pete as much as i love peated whiskies like my middle daughter's name's isla so like it gives you an idea of how much you know peated whiskies mean to me <laughs> but they just didn't fit that bill for me of like approachable accessible whiskies that you know would be your first rung in exploring whiskey as a category or certainly exploring whiskey from other places but then, you know, I guess, so hence the name Unexpeded is like a play on unexpected. It's a, it's a thing that Starwood shouldn't be doing, but we did. But we were really happy about doing it because the result sort of still fit the mould of like, okay, it delivers on the Starwood promise. It's still Starwood whiskey. And of the peated whiskies you're going to drink, it's going to be the one that's most accessible. That's our kind of view, right? And most approachable and one that you can have a bit of fun with. So, you know, the the diehard peat freaks, you know, of which I am a certified sort of uh, member of that club, 
are going to find this like quite balanced between the ex, ex, you know the oak character the red wine character the malt character in the whiskey that you know is quite prevalent in starwood but now we've got like a fourth dimension of heat added but it is balanced right like it's not going to be something that's how can i put this the aussie shiraz of you know whiskies <laughs> like poking you in the eyes and saying hi this is a peated whiskey and it's a peat finish so basically we aged in our red wine barrels and then sourced some barrels from an Isla distillery and um, then finished our aged whiskey in those barrels for about six months. Hi there. Just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. And then finally, the dolce expression. So dolce is sweet, right? So it's sweet in Italian. So basically, uh, we're um, exploring fortified wine barrels, most like a Sicilian masala. And, you know, my parents are Sicilian, so it was kind of like a little homage to our background and the type of things that I used to kind of have bottle caps of as a little boy. You know, mum and dad were like more than happy to kind of share some of that those things with me when I was a kid but the interesting thing is I think that we're working with Australian winemakers that are of Sicilian heritage making a masala style in Australia wow so so there's kind of the two worlds of like you know historical worlds of whiskey that you know and we want to create a modern you know I want to make a modern take on whiskey you know ideally the most modern whiskey you've ever had and you know this Italian family winery is also sort of saying, well, look, there's plenty of great marsala coming from Sicily already. We don't need to reproduce that, but we come from a different place. You know, don't ask us how we got these vines here, but they're going to grow really differently in Australia, in you know, in a different climate and different soil. And let's see what, what we can do with that product. And so it's a very different take on marsala and hence why it's not called that. And um, so we're kind of bringing those two differences together to make something really delicious. So there's a lot for the collectors and the curious to hunt for now from Starward, but the single barrel freaks are going to be definitely hunting down 684, 3278, and 4539. Yeah. I know it's a, a lot to ask, but what made these stand out and why are these American exclusives? Yeah, good question. So um, so 684 is actually a second fill Pedro Jimenez barrel. So one of the very few dis- very few distilleries in Australia that had sourced these barrels. And the age of this whiskey was actually quite old. It's um, close to seven years of age. So in terms of the style of Starwood, it's very expressive from the spirit perspective and not so much from the oak point of view. And so I think that um, one of the things that can get lost in distilleries, particularly smaller distilleries that might be using smaller barrels or thinking that when they're talking to um, whiskey drinkers, oak is such an important part of that sort of intensity and, and flavor side of things that actually a second fill barrel for full aging where all of that extractive wood is gone 
isn't necessarily as appealing and it takes longer like these are second seven years of age so to me it's all it's starward grown up you know it's sort of like this lovely rounder more nuanced kind of flavor profile that you get from from the spirit that's actually aged in second fill barrels um that had px in them so there's that hint of sweetness coming from the sherry beforehand as well so that's 684 and then 3278 is actually a darling of mine it's actually been here we were we've we been trying to like find a home for it in in the united states for quite some time and um, funnily enough it took a while to find a home which like always surprised me because like i said it was one of my one of my favorites and this is a bullseye starwood barrel which is it's an american oak red wine fresh fill so that basically means wine out whiskey in and those American oak barrels, this comes back to what I was talking about beforehand when we started to scale up. We went from filling three barrels a day to 30. It's a big step up. Wow. So to then find those barrels and then find them at a level of consistency and quality that met what we could find at the three level is no mean feat. So to be able to do that and then kind of get a double gold with this wine out, whiskey in, American oak, wet fill process, you know, like where we're aging all of the whiskey for that full aging is just wonderful. And look, you know, I've, I'm of a firm view, or maybe it's just my bias, that Starwood plays well with water. You know, it, it's always kind of like, to me, a friendlier whiskey at a lower proof point, hence why our, our products rarely go over 100 proof as a, as a core range product. But boy, this is kind of like, it's at 110, 111. And you could just, you know, sit on it all afternoon. You know, it's very, very easy to drink. And that brings us to 4539. 4539 is actually the other end of the continuum with American oak. So as opposed to being a Barrique 225-litre barrel, this is a hogshead. It's 300 litres. So if you recall with Octase, we're aging a 100-litre barrel that's going to have far more extractive wood characteristics coming because the surface area to volume ratio is higher. With a 300 litre barrel, it's the other end, right? Like it's less extractive because there's just more spirit per litre, per square foot of barrel. Okay. So, so that's the first point. And the second point is, even though it's an American oak red wine barrel, this one has been shaved, toasted and recharred. And so what that does is... You know, as you'd be familiar with a bourbon barrel, have like that char level, which engages with the spirit and kind of changes the spirit because it's effectively a carbon filter, right? So it's a very different um, spirit profile that comes out of the other end of that process with a larger format. And those red wine characters have been caramelized into far more jammy notes that you get in Starwood. So, you know, and, and this comes to what we were discussing before, that our blenders are there sort of going, what do I need to kind of get this to be consistent from batch to batch? I need more of those jammy notes, but without any more extractive wood because we're fine on that. Let me go and find a 300-litre American oak shape STR to go and put that into the whiskey. So, so we're giving all of these different wood policies give you know far more colors for our blenders to paint the starwood picture with when they're making nova and this one here is just like a a really 
interesting take because it is going to have a very different fruit profile because it's that shaved toast rechar. The char is going to interact with the spirit very differently than the wet fields that have no char. And so you get a very different expression. So each of these are going to be fun to kind of um, explore and, you know, you know to, to drink and sort of showcase that diversity that we have in the range. And I definitely expect the collectors to be on the lookout and also the occasion-driven drinkers who, I mean, they want what's what's scarce or what's rare or just what's unique. And, you know, I could see a hotel bar picking up these if they if they get the chance and the whiskey drinkers among their guests really being like, I want this with my awesome dinner or with my cigar. So definitely be on the lookout for the singles, but also all the other expressions. I mean, Fortis, Octave, Unexpeded, Dolce. We've also got Twofold and Nova. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot yeah. coming to the States and some is already here. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I know we, we want to, we've talked about Twofold in the past, but to me, you know, to get a double, like to, to get a gold medal with, with Twofold, given the availability of it and given its price point, you know, if you're a few bucks more than what you'd get from, you know, that what you'd pay for a maker's mark, you're into a, you know, a weeded whiskey from Australia that's like delivering lots of different flavor profiles, but, you know, but, but just amazing value for money for what it is coming from the other side of the world. Oh, they should definitely collect the entire range. When I, when I saw that they, we were getting more expressions to the States, I was like, oh, okay. Because I, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, we're getting exclusive bottlings as well because there are bottles that are exclusive to Australia and the same for the EU and UK. So the fact that America gets its own exclusive runs is, is pretty fantastic. I, I love that. Well, it's having the founder live in the United States too, right? <laughs> yeah, that is a, a big help. <laughs> yeah. So you've mentioned the the blenders. What did the team, what was their reaction when they also found out about all of these awards? Yeah, I think, you know, they're, they're a humble bunch, you know, and so it was for them, I think um, a lot of them were quietly proud, you know, the, of what they'd, they'd done and rightly so. But I, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I was fortunate enough to be in Australia when, when the awards were announced. So it was it was a moment, you know, and, and, and you know, like I I was quite emotional when we kind of got these um, these results in because, yeah, uh, you wake up every day to make great whiskey that's well crafted, that's really consistent, that you know you believe people should have on their back bars in great bars or in hotels around the world or at home in their sharing cabinet, and so do they, you know, like this team has you know kind of bought into my irrational belief that Starwood should be on every shelf in the world, right? Which it was 15 years ago. That's, excuse my French, batshit crazy to kind of think that, you know, this Australian whip behind the ears guy can kind of think he's going to have whiskey, you know, sold in 40 countries around the world and, you know, get the sort of accolades and, and a recognition that we have. But they bought into that. They believed in that idea as much as I did. And, you know, so this is wonderful for them because they've done all the hard work to get there. I think some people do forget about that. It's not just one person's idea. You had to find people who were like, yeah, this is definitely going to work out and I want to be a part of this. So that's also impressive. And then again, like I said, to put out a consistent product with all these different expressions and to take home this many awards. I mean, that 
their belief in you was justified. I just think it's a cool story. Americans really didn't know about Australian whiskey until relatively recently. And then to come in here and take that many awards is, is pretty fantastic. Yeah, well, if you did it, you know, I mean, if there's ever going to be a brand or country for that matter that's going to elbow out some space on the sharing cabinet and sort of like say, hey, we need to be there, it's obviously going to be an Australian, right? Like it's, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was inevitable. That does remind me as an F1 fan of the fact that Daniel Ricardo, you know, the Australian driver came in and it was funny last year, he did an entire line of like NASCAR shirts and I'm like, I guarantee at some point in his career, he rolls into NASCAR and just, as you said, puts the elbows out and goes, yeah, I can do this too. (laughs) You were kind of known for that, you know, there's a swimming, you know, we kind of pack a pretty strong punch for our population in the, you know, in the Olympics as well. So yeah, it's, it's genetically programmed, you know, there's a subject in uh, high school punching above your weight, you know, so (laughs) we all take it and here we are. When it comes to when it comes to spirits producers and it comes to awards, they can immediately put more eyes on a specific brand and specific expressions. And the San Francisco World Spirits Competition is arguably the most important, at least for North America. So I was wondering because we did talk about how you've moved here. It's very grassroots how you're approaching different markets, but has this led to any attention from distributors reaching out to you, even restaurant and bar owners, hotel groups saying we want to be in the Star Wars business? Has that helped? It, it, it does. I mean, look, I think that, so the good news is that we pretty much because of all these supply chain challenges, we've got plenty of stock in the United States. That was my, you know, like a minute after thinking, this can't be real. And then, oh my God, it is real. This is amazing. The next thing was like, oh shit, do we have enough stock, right? <laughs> that's good. Like, you know, good point. <laughs> and we're fine. We're fine. So that's great. And the the great thing has been, yeah, we've had a huge amount of interest, not just from distributors, but as you point out, bars and restaurants and retailers saying, I've heard a lot about you guys before, but this is exactly what I needed to see to have the confidence to jump in the pool and have have some fun, right? So, you know, if you think of like New World Whiskey as a pool party, we've got a lot of people around the edges going, I think the water's a little too cold. And there's this crazy Australian guy saying, come in, come in, come in, you know, it's not that bad, but he, you know, might have blue lips sometimes, but you know, like <laughs> all of a sudden, like it is warm, the, you know, the, the solar heating's kicked in, it's a sunny day and people are starting to jump in, which is a lot of, it's exciting. So the U.S. has been opening up and a lot of restaurants and bars are seeing that they're becoming reservation only. It's getting so busy. There's so much demand to once again be able to meet up with friends and family and socialize, meet new people. And we talked about you know, one of the markets you were focusing on uh, at the time of our last conversation was Chicago. So mm-hmm. after these wins and people had been contacting star word they they do want to bring it in have you are there new markets that you're focusing on or are you still processing where to go next no yeah i think i think we're still in that early phases of just making sure that people that we're already talking to and have been talking to um in the markets that we're in have that availability right that that you know that we're we're working with our 
existing distributor network to make sure that like, you know what, they were early supporters of ours. Um, and I, you know, there's no chance of us letting them down in terms of like availability of stock and turning up when they need us to be in market to do the heavy lifting. I mean, it's still a unknown quantity, even though these awards, you know, help, you know, so there's still a lot of heavy lifting to do. This just helps kind of navigate our way through that, you know, path. The, you know, new markets that we're looking at, look, we're in, we, we can ship our product to 40 markets in the United States, right? And if you think about that in the context of Australia, where there's seven markets and 20 million people, right? Like, I'm fine, right? Like, uh, you know, we, we, we can, we, there's plenty of work to do to build awareness of Starwood in, in those particular markets. Having said that, Minnesota is a market that I've been really keenly watching for some time and think that it's, it's a great market for Starwood to work in. And there's others that, like, in the South, I think we could do more work in. We've got a really vibrant whiskey club community that have kind of um, brought into the Starwood story and are on that journey with us. And so we're always open to other places, but there's no such thing as waving the palette of whiskey goodbye at the distillery kind of door and letting it, leaving it up to everybody else to support it. So, you know, we're, we're, that's why I'm here and that's why we'll continue to turn up. And so if we're going to open up new markets, I've got to be sure that we can deliver on the, all the other bits outside of what's in the bottle and the same level of quality and care that what's inside the bottle. So before we go, you got to be in Australia with the team when these results came out. So I know it was emotional, you said initially, and then the oh shit moment of do we have enough now that we have all this attention, but how did you celebrate? Um, yeah, good question. I, we, we, funnily enough, like <laughs> part of our team was off sick with COVID. So half the team wasn't there. The other half that were there, we kind of made up for the half that wasn't in terms of celebrations. So there was some bleary, you know, some bleary-eyed uh, employees the day after. And then, you know, I actually was fortunate enough to also catch up with our Australian distributor um, the day after and celebrate with their team as well. So it was probably good that that was on the tail end of the trip and I needed to come back home because, boy, you, you can't keep doing that for too long. Well, congratulations on all the awards and to the listeners, particularly the United States, be on the lookout for the additional expressions that are hitting our shores. I'm very excited about trying these out. Um, before we go, how can people learn more about Starward and follow on social? Yeah, so I think um, socials, it's Starward Whiskey without an E is the easiest way to kind of find us. But head over, you know, if you want to know when these limited releases are hitting the ground and which retailers have availability of those single barrels or limited releases the best thing to do is subscribe to our newsletter i promise you it's the most non-lame email newsletter you'll get from a distillery subjectively and um you know it's um you know we'll, we'll keep you up to date and there's a store finder in there where the single barrels are and things like that on the website as well so subscribe to the newsletter and um yeah, we'll keep you on the loop as to when they arrive david thank you so much for being on i really appreciate your time Absolutely, mate. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Clem. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at Ask Bar Hacks and Instagram at Bar Hacks. Talk to you soon.